hello again. Well, if you're coming back, and it's nice to meet you if this is your first time here. This is Pick 6 Movies, a podcast where each season we select six movies that are all related to a single theme. Then on each episode, we explore the people in front of and behind the camera to try and make sense of how and why each movie was made. But that's not all. After that, we give you a detailed review of the entire movie to see if they're any good. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with my lifelong friend, Mr. Bo Ransdell, we are presenting this season's theme, You Can Do It, featuring six movies that are all about one thing, doing it. That's right, it. I. T. It. Tonight's episode is full of all sorts of titillating and tantalizing naughtiness plucked straight from the late 1990s silver screen. We're talking, of course, about Wild Things, starring, in order of importance, Denise Richards, Bill Murray, Matt Dillon, Nev Campbell, Kevin Bacon's enormous penis, and lastly, Kevin Bacon. This is a very sweaty, sexy movie set somewhere in the state of Florida. There are alligators and swamp boats, there are seedy motels, jeeps covered in mud, there are teachers having sex with their students. I mean, this movie couldn't be any more Florida unless it involved a senior citizen drug dealer leading cops on a low-speed chase while riding an electric scooter that ends up in the parking lot at SeaWorld. There's murdering double-crossers, Did I mention Kevin Bacon's enormous penis shows up? It's got everything you could possibly hope for in a movie that has, well, all of these things in it. You know what? Let's get Bowen here to make us all a little smarter with his introduction before we all get a little dumber talking about this movie. So without any further ado, 1998's Trash-tastic Wild Things, a movie that makes my heart sing. Narco Nympho, Jazzman in Nude Town, Amateur Night, the love story of a confirmed lesbian and a blonde nympho. These titles, and one tagline, belong to actual books. They sit beside novels like Three-Way Lust and ESP Orgy, books written and published in the 1960s, lurid stories that tapped into the baser impulses of readers of the day. Of course, these weren't the first. People have been talking about sex since, well, since people have been talking. Way back in ancient Sumer and Greece and Rome and Persia, some of the earliest poetry was erotic in nature. A name you've heard but never knew why is Sappho of Lesbos, whose very name has become synonymous with the love between women. Sapphic is defined as relating to lesbians, so we barely need the of Lesbos part, but a name's a name. Even old Will Shakespeare got in on the act. Before they were poems you had to read in high school, Shakespeare's sonnets were passed around in the form of handwritten manuscripts, never intended to be widely read. The Rape of Lucrece and Venus and Adonis are both works which were considered quite scandalous at the time. In the 17th and 18th centuries, the concept of the libertine and the rake emerged, basically two words for the same thing, horny people. John Wilmot, Sir Charles Sedley, George Etheridge, all writers with one thing on their mind, doing it. They wrote volumes of poems, some dramatic, some satirical, but almost all with the vivid descriptions of sex and eroticism. Because of the world being all religious at the time, and let's face it, pretty puritanical even today, 
most of this work was published posthumously. The act of sex, which is required for any of us to actually be here, and further to be shamed by discussions of sex, was not considered polite conversation. I postulate it's because of the smells generated, but you can read more about that in my book, It's the Pits, The Smells of Sex. But I digress. While not considered appropriate for society in the 18 and 1900s, sexy stories and songs were rife in culture. Poet Robert Burns collected a number of ribald tavern songs from Scotland into a collection known as The Merry Muses of Caledonia. While the hoi polloi might have looked down their nose at their genitals, the unwashed masses enjoyed a more vulgar brand of entertainment that wasn't quite so high and mighty. That's not to say that there wasn't a stigma on erotic art, whether it be written or sung or even sculptures. The common folk just didn't seem to care as much about who might be watching when the conversation turned to naughty bits. By the 19th century, things were heating up. Algernon Charles Swinburne, one of the foremost poets of the day, wrote 12 eclogues, or short poems, exclusively on the topic of flagellation, called The Flogging Book. I bet that was about 1,200 times hotter than Fifty Shades of Grey. Pierre-Louis founded the literary review Le Conque in 1891, where he would publish A Start, a very popular collection of erotically-themed poetry. He followed that up with Songs of Delightus, 143 prose poems, this time with an emphasis on lesbian topics. Not only were these writers talking about sex, they were talking about the different flavors. It was like we, as a society, were evolving to deal healthily and with curiosity about one of the staples of human existence. But fear not, Puritan hearts, the 19th century also saw the rise of outraged politicians railing against the dangers of this pornography. In 1857, the House of Lords in England authorized the Obscene Publications Act, which made the sale of material deemed obscene a statutory offense, meaning police could not only charge the vendor with a crime, but seize all the offending literature and destroy it. The law was, quote, intended to apply exclusively to works written for the single purpose of corrupting the morals of youth and of a nature calculated to shock the common feelings of decency in any well-regulated mind. In short, if the author was trying to make you horny, it was probably against the law. Side note, Scotland got a pass on this law because they had even tougher laws on erotic literature. Good for you, Scotland. In 1868, Alexander Cockburn, you, haunted by his last name apparently, changed the interpretation of the law so that the test of what was obscene wasn't whether the book in question was intended to be erotic, but that the effect on the reader was corruptive. So it didn't matter what the author intended, only what the effect on the reader might be. That led to bans on works from high-profile authors like Emile Zola and James Joyce and D.H. Lawrence, and even some medical textbooks. Wait a second, it seems like we're heading the wrong way with this law stuff. Then in the 20th century, more and more social stigma was placed on the authoring, selling, and reading of erotic works of fiction. Stories that highlighted human sexuality were reserved for the pulp magazines of the day. You've certainly heard the word pulp before, because everyone knows Pulp Fiction, the Quentin Tarantino film that launched a decade of crappy copycat movies. He was inspired by the pulp crime magazines of the early 20th century, notably Black Mask, 
which was the working title of Pulp Fiction before its production. So named for the cheap paper on which the magazines were printed, pulp magazines and later pulp novels were an outlet for writers whose subject matter was considered indecent or at the very least distasteful. The peak of their popularity came in the 1920s and 30s when big magazines, Argosy, Adventure, Blue Book, and Short Stories, were churning out work by terrific writers like Dashiell Hammett, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Robert E. Howard, and Talbot Mundy. These stories were almost always advertised with splashy, colorful covers where buxom women spilled out of their tops and hard-boiled Joes with pistols in hand fought to make sense of a topsy-turvy world. In a post-World War II environment, these magazines faded, partly due to a paper shortage following the war, but the times they were a-changing. Television was here, and the gumshoes of the pulp era found their way to black-and-white screens. The radio found a home for some of these guys, too. The noir movement in cinema is a direct mirror of the world of these pulp magazines, except for the ones that weren't ace fighters or cowboys or spacemen, or the ones we're concerned with, the sexy ones. There was no home for them on television or on the radio, so the legacy of the pulp magazine was the pulp novel, produced on the cheap and written by a slew of pseudonyms for easy money. Sex, as ever, sells. A lot of these dealt with alternative sexualities in an age that socially frowned on them. While Sappho of Lesbos might have been heralded for her poetry back in the day, the author of The Third Sex had to keep her name disguised. Over the course of thousands of years of history, we had managed to take a giant step back from the ancient view that sexuality was a thing not only worth discussing, but making art about. These books were dime store paperbacks with covers as lurid as the magazines of old. They catered to fetishes like bondage or voyeurism or dealt with homosexuality. In fact, lesbian and gay male pulps were immensely popular. Hey, who knew there were gay people in the 50s, huh? They may not have been open, but they were apparently reading a lot of books. To the tune of several million. Very smart lady Stephanie Foote said of these lesbian-centric books, quote, Pulps have been understood as signs of a secret history of readers, and they have been valued because they have been read. The more they are read, the more they are valued, and the more they are read, the closer the relationship between the very act of circulation and reading and the construction of a lesbian community becomes. Characters use the reading of novels as a way to understand that they are not alone. The upside of being cast into the literary gutter of lowbrow pulp novels, no one was really paying attention. One of the publishing houses, Fawcett, started a gold medal division that catered to these alternative pulp novels, and even went so far as to hire homosexual and heterosexual women to write the lesbian novels instead of heterosexual men when they could. It may seem like a no-brainer, but it was a big step, Lesbians were writing fiction for and about lesbians. Likewise, male homosexual fiction was around too. Around the same time books like The Girls in 3B were finding their way onto wire rack displays at the backs of stores, gay male-focused novels like Men into Beasts and Strange Brother were published too. Now keep in mind, this is the era of McCarthy and 50 Sensibilities. The very act of buying a book like the ones just mentioned was an act of bravery. Lots of guys and ladies who purchased these books would read them and then burn them 
destroying evidence of their own curiosity or interests. While it was a time of great repression, the 20th century was also a time when society began to grapple more openly with sexuality. I mean, not as openly as ancient Sumer or Rome or Greece, but pretty good by modern standards. Turns out the Dark Ages did quite a number on us folks, but that's a story for another time. Books like Nabokov's Lolita, or The Story of O, a frank depiction of sadomasochistic pleasures and freewheeling sexuality, made it to popular fiction conversations. While considered obscene and profane by some, the idea that art could depict not only sexuality, but alternate forms of sexuality was taking hold. These days, we're perhaps still not as progressive as our ancient forefathers when it comes to sexuality, but we're better. Homosexuality isn't demonized the way it once was, and both film and literature has given us a launching pad to think, discuss, and discover. Which, I suppose, brings us to a cinematic embodiment of the 20th century pulp tradition, and our film tonight, Wild Things. Released in 1998, Wild Things sat alongside releases like The Truman Show and Saving Private Ryan and the Come in the Hair comedy of There's Something About Mary. Director John McNaughton had helmed the astounding and brutal Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer about a decade before and had been working steadily since on well-received projects like the movie Normal Life or the series Homicide Life on the Streets. He'd also worked with Wild Things supporting actor Bill Murray before when he directed the not-so-great Mad Dog and Glory, which explains what the hell Bill Murray is doing in this thing. Kevin Bacon was not only quick to sign on, he even became a producer. He said of the script, quote, When I first picked up the script, I thought, Oh my god, this is the trashiest piece of crap I've ever read. But every few pages, I kept discovering that it wasn't what it seemed. Every few pages, there was another surprise. Originally, Matt Dillon's role was slated for Robert Downey Jr., who had yet to don the armor and become Iron Man. He'd just done a Diane Sawyer interview talking about his drug abuse, and while he was on the upswing, the producers of Wild Things didn't want to deal with the insurance headaches, so Dillon got the part. While there's a ton of sexiness in the movie, unlike some films we've discussed this season, I'm looking at you, Fifty Shades of Dull, there was one bit left out. In the shower scene where Kevin Bacon's wang makes a cameo, the scene was supposed to end with Dylan slipping into the shower with Bacon and the two of them kissing. While Bacon was down for it, Dylan not so much. Man, I was relieved when they got rid of that scene, he said in an interview. Kevin seemed pretty attached to it, though. One twist too many, man. One twist too many. I thought it was great because the whole movie is about secrets coming out, right? Bacon said of the scene. As reveals go, that one was just huge, no pun intended. Unfortunately, the financiers didn't like the idea of men making out. They felt it went too far. They felt it wasn't right. Hey, speaking of same-sex smooching, the famous pool scene of the film was done only after Margarita's and Nev Campbell's dressing room. Side note, that is also the approach my co-host Chad and I took in taking our ACT tests. The film's writer was Steven Peters. Of his 11 IMDb credits, five of them are for the characters created for Wild Things, which would be the last movie he wrote at the age of 51. I mean, once you've done your masterwork. Denise Richards had been acting for some time in television before Wild Things, and even done a few films. This was in the midst of an impressive role, however. She was coming off the underrated Starship Troopers before doing Wild Things, then appeared in the hysterical Drop Dead Gorgeous 
and followed that up with a turn as a Bond girl, Christmas Jones, see season 6 episode 1 for more on how dumb that name is, but after that she was mostly relegated to B-movies and television, but she's still a working actress today so you can get off your high horse about how maybe she isn't the best actress and only got famous because boobs. Also, boobs don't hurt. Nev Campbell, who plays Susie Toller, Denise Richards' smooching partner in the film, was a star in her own right by now. She was a lead on Party of Five and was already two movies into the Scream franchise. Only a couple of years before, she was the star of The Craft, too, and famously retreated from major films not long after the end of Party of Five in 2000. She's working more now, but I always admired her maturity to step away from the spotlight when it became too bright. I bet she's nice, too. Matt Dillon has been in movies for 40 years now. Yowza. 1998 was a particularly good year for him, with both Wild Things and the mega-hit There's Something About Mary landing in the same year. He's done everything from Gus Van Sant indie dramas to, well, Wild Things, and recently starred in a pretty good serial killer flick called The House That Jack Built, also directed by Gus Van Sant. Kevin Bacon is six degrees from everyone, as we know, but was surprisingly cool about his wing getting some screen time in Wild Things which was unintentional as it happens. After multiple takes of the shower scene where Dylan tosses bacon a towel, after multiple takes of the shower scene where Dylan tosses bacon a towel, only one featured Kevin's bacon, but director McNaughton was talked into that take by his editor, Elena Maganini, probably because she saw Kevin Bacon's junk. When McNaughton called Bacon to negotiate the use of the shot, Bacon simply asked, how do I look? You look good, Kevin, McNaughton replied, not lying. No problem, came the response. And so, Kevin Bacon's dick. In 2015, Kevin Bacon referred to the now infamous scene when he did a PSA called Free the Bacon, where he encouraged more male nudity among his peers in proportion to the nudity asked of female actors. Good for him. I bet he's nice too. But what about the topic at hand? Is Wild Things just an excuse to show young ladies frenching and groping? Should Matt Dillon have kissed Kevin Bacon? And is this the most fun movie we've ever done? For this answer and more, I turn to my own shower pal and faithful friend Chad Cooper for more. Ladies and gentlemen, Gators and Gaties, I humbly present to you 1998's Wild Things. Well, hello there, everyone. It's your old pal, Bo, with me, as ever, my lovely co-host, Chad Cooper. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Bo. Uh, tonight, we have quite the delicious treat for us. This is, uh, of course, as you heard in the outset, folks, uh, this is season six of Pick Six Movies, uh, subtitled, You Can Do It. I almost, I go a little bit Waterboy with it accidentally, but mm -hmm. but there's also the do it is what I'm trying to put the emphasis on. <laughs> And we have a movie in which the promise of doing it has been fulfilled, finally. There's been a yes. lot of, like, real blue ball episodes uh, in terms of actual sexy time movies. You know, Not this one. No, no, no. Holy shit, Chad. This movie is horny from jump, and I respect it. This is a movie that dares to answer the question, 
What if Alfred Hitchcock directed an adaptation of an issue of Hustler for the silver screen? <laughs> right. What if Dashiell Hammett <laughs> wrote a letter to Penthouse? <laughs> Your intro really helped provide context for me in re-watching this movie. I didn't initially see it as modern day pulp cinema. I really saw it, at least initial viewing, as camp, but without any of the jokes. And of course, Kevin Bacon's huge cock. Right. But that's kind of what pulp is, right? It's just, it's campy, melodramatic bullshit that just takes itself seriously. And sometimes it can become camp because of how badly it's executed. Whereas this, to paraphrase one Kevin Bacon, I think is good trashy fun. You know, speaking of Kevin Bacon and his huge cock. (laughs) Good Lord. We'll get to it. But he gave it a couple of strokes before this shot, right? I mean, that look, it looked flaccid in the same way that like, hey, I woke up and I got one of them morning got a pee boners. And then immediately after draining, you're like, oh, that's still pretty good looking, right? (laughs) I mean, it ain't, it, it ain't there for a reason. Yeah. It's a real Playgirl magazine. I'm just laying by my motorcycle with my <laughs> cock on my thigh type oh. of a size dick. Oh, hello, ladies. I didn't see you there. I was just <laughs> polishing the ornament on my Rolls Royce. I forgot pants, as you see. It happens when I decide to clean the car. Kevin Bacon gets top billing in this movie. And let's be honest, his cock should be right behind him. But <laughs> right. you know, un- uncredited in the motion picture. But then it's followed by Matt Dillon then Nev Campbell, and then we see an alligator, and then the title of Wild Things. Denise Richards isn't even listed in the top four performers in this film. Somebody named Teresa Russell gets fourth billing. Well, I mean, somebody named Teresa Russell. She was a a, a fine actress. She was in the movie Whore. Who was her agent? She was directed Ken Russell. Well, who was... Denise Richards' agent. That's the question that I have. Mm. I'll tell you who it is. It's me, Anthony Bigliosi, super agent to the stars. May I remind you that Miss Richards does everything in this movie. She goes topless. She makes out with another woman. She washes a car, for God's sake. And I don't see Teresa Russell flashing her tits for the camera. This is a travesty of cinematic justice. I represent some of the biggest names in Hollywood. Charlie Sheen, Jim J. Bullock. Michael Jeter, you can't treat me and my clientele like this. I demand respect. I'm Anthony Bigliosi, super agent to the stars. I I like Michael Jeter quite a lot, just for the record. All of his clients have AIDS, by the way. Ew. Except for for Denise Richards. Denise Richards. Um, So the movie begins, Chad. (laughs) With our good old Mandalay Bay logo. What the fuck happened to Mandalay? That was a a movie. I, I, that's got to be one of them. Hey, a, a movie star uh, probably was behind this, and right. then they got me too'd right out of business or something. But <laughs> it's one of those storefronts in a downtown area that only swe- that only sells women's sweaters. You're like, how is that open? It's like, don't worry about <laughs> right. it. Right? There was one of those across from my old apartment that it was called uh, Two Moons. And, uh, like, when you pass by the place, it had, like, a mural on one side of the building. It had about five racks and about 1,200 square feet. A lot of open space there, Chad. And, like, 
All the shelves were filled with a mixture of scented candles and jaunty hats. And I'm like, what the fuck kind of business is this? One of two things. Column A, money laundering. Column B, that's new mommy's project that keeps her busy during the day. <laughs> right. That's one of them uh, here in Nashville. It would be one of them Green Hills ladies. That's just like, yeah, it's the old, uh, was it Eddie Murphy joke about Johnny Carson's wife running the boutique? Now it's seven billion and ten dollars. The opening music of this movie sounds like the preamble to the theme of Pee Wee's Playhouse, or maybe the first few bars of Wicked Games. It's this Pee Wee's Playhouse. I like the fact that this movie starts getting down right away. It's just like, here's some like sexy guitar and saxophone. Here's some dude on a fan boat. Like, when was the last time you saw one of them in a movie, Chad? <laughs> Not soon enough. I love a fan boat. I don't know why, I just do. Where I live, I see fan boats all the time, so it's not that unusual. Right, this is really, <laughs> like, Wild Things is kind of your neck of, uh, of the woods. I, dude, when I was watching this movie, I stuck my arm out the window and wiggled it, and I could see it in the film. I was like, hey, look at that. As they go through the credits with a bunch of names that we don't care about, then we get to see a good old-fashioned with Robert Wagner. And you're like, oh, what's Robert Wagner doing in this movie this is followed by a good old-fashioned and Bill Murray. What? And then after that, it says music by George Clinton, which I was like, holy shit, George Clinton and the P-Funk All-Stars are going to be doing music for this? And you're like, oh, wait, 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 it's George S. Clinton. You're like, ah, shit. I also would like to note that this is a very sweaty movie. And as far as sweaty Florida movies go, it's only bested by Key Largo. And we're following Denise Richards. Right. So she sits down in this assembly hall where a fellow male student, you know, tweaks her sweater uh, and her appearance where Miss Richards delivers the opening line of dialogue in this movie, which is fuck off. Hey, 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 look, Denise, good news, bad news, all right? The good news is you get the first line of poetry in this real classy movie. The bad news is I can only get your fifth building. Calm down, calm down, calm down. Hold on. I got some good news. You get to take your top off. Well, I mean, look, that's good news for me and all the red-blooded fellas in the audience. Look, calm down, calm down. Look, this is me, Anthony Bigliosi, super agent to the stars. Look, you and I know this movie is a real turd. Not like that Starship Troopers I got you, right? You do this movie, you flash your yah-yahs and who knows what else, and maybe I can introduce you to Mr. Charlie Sheet. That's right. You know, uh, Mr. Charlie Sheet, he can maybe uh, make some introductions and see what happens to your career. But, you know, in the meantime here, I got this script for uh, the next Star Wars. It's called Battleship Earth. Huh? John Travolta's gonna be in this, and there's a part for you. Trust me. I would never steer you wrong, Denise. First off, are these people even in a real high school? Or is this just what you call your final year of GED classes? Like, this is your senior seminar. And by the way, this theater of people that he's addressing, it looks like the opening scene from the Muppet movie. They're like six rows deep, eight seats long. There's maybe 50 people in this high school auditorium. Yeah, I... 
it is a like this is the audience of the Muppet movie before the movie starts. Yeah, only horny teenagers. Yeah, they're all twenty-something high school students, right? Like one of them's throwing a fish boomerang. Somebody's got a plunger and is blowing another kid off of up to the ceiling. One kid's got the TNT box with the. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean it's all just utter nonsense. Like when Matt Dillon <laughs> starts the the seminar with like, hey, "Now we're going to talk about something to do," and writes on the chalkboard, "Sex." And the audience loses their fucking shit. They're just like, woohoo! Like, people taking off their shoes and hitting themselves in the head with it. Tongues are rolling out of faces. And just, but just from seeing those three letters, which he's not done writing. And in fact, he could have written a lot of different words. He could have written sextuplet, sextagenarian, sexton, sexton, sextos, sexies. But he gives that pregnant pause where he's like, Six, and then just kind of looks out at the audience to like read the crowd a little bit, I guess. And then he, he's like, "Hey, here's the end of it." And then writes "crime" beside it, which is the old Dipsy Doodle chat, and it's what Boo. I like to see in my movie. Boo. Yeah, and immediately everyone's like, "Oh, fuck off, guidance counselor Matt Dillon! How dare you tease us?" Or maybe you're the principal or the vice principal. Are you a teacher? Hell, are you a student here? I, who are you? <laughs> right. He he looks neither older nor younger than any of the students, which is both problematic and kind of sexy. Matt Dillon starts going on about date rape and sexual harassment. And then he says, we discuss some of these issues right here in this room. What's going on? How have they discussed sex crimes in this very room before? Just, you know, turning around a chair, uh, sitting around, uh, sitting in a chair backwards, looking out at the students and just being like, hey, why don't we talk about this? How about we just do a little Jimmy John? Anybody, anybody here been raped a bunch? Anybody want to share some experiences? If anybody ever asks you to do a Matt Dillon impersonation, I think there's two approaches. You either do one, a watered down sliced alone. Uh-huh. Barring that, pretend to be an amateur ventriloquist. And talk without moving your teeth or your lips. Either one will serve you proper. I think it's pretty clear which direction I've gone. (laughs) Um, He decides that he's done teasing the audience and is like, now let me introduce my special guest. It's Kevin Bacon, everybody. And everyone's (laughs) like, yay. Except for Nev Campbell, who shows up in the movie to complete our quartet of characters. And I would say, well done movie for introducing everybody in the first scene. She stands up and is like, this prick can kiss my ass. Is she talking about Matt Dillon or Kevin Bacon or maybe Kevin Bacon's female sidekick that we've yet to be introduced to? I've watched this movie twice and I'm still unclear who Nev Campbell is referring to. It's Kevin Bacon and and we'll get into the the thing that happened with Davey later, but I think that's what is the impetus for her calling him a prick and also suggesting that she kiss his ass. Then uh, Kevin Bacon says... (laughs) So, does anyone kiss my know? Ass, kiss his ass, kiss your ass. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> it's, it's a bad it. movie. Uh, so, Bacon <laughs> asks, hey, does anybody know what a sex crime is? And some kid yells out, not getting any. And that is scene. 
Which I like. Again, this is a movie that makes some bold decisions, and I approve. Can you imagine being an officer of the law, having to give a seminar on rape and sexual assault, and you start off like, does anyone here know what a sex crime is? And you're instantly heckled. He's like the Sergeant Stadinko of sex crimes, where he's like, has anyone heard of sex crimes? And people are just like, raped in the ass! <laughs> Fisted. That's that's definitely a crime. Bestiality. uh, That's a crime against humanity as well as animals. But let's making a goat do it with my uncle. um, Your uncle is in jail. I am sorry to report. Um, But let's talk about sex. Public masturbation. I can smell it. (laughs) Gross. So speaking of gross, outside, Chad, the cheerleaders decide to practice and apparently. Like the XFL tryouts. There's all kinds of of activities happening beyond the cheerleaders. There's football and lacrosse, and I think I saw soccer. There was um, there was run was happening and jump. Pretty much all manner of what people do when they play sport in high school. And then Matt Dillon cruises by on a boat. And I'm like, is this sailing practice? <laughs> what the like? What fucking school is this? Is this just like one of those hippy dippy schools where it's like, I don't know what you want to learn today. You want to go out on a boat? He's with one of the uh, 20-something high school students, this kid named Jimmy. Jimmy looks like Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber, sans the front broken tooth. Jimmy admires some big boat off in the ocean, and Matt Dillon says, No, Jimmy, that boy out there is a piece of shit. You need a big fancy boat like that one way over there. And then he points to this boat, and you immediately know, oh, so our movie's going to end on that big boat. Right. Which which we do. And also, throughout the scene, you catch Matt Dillon sneaking glances at the cheerleaders, which isn't crazy, considering every cheerleader is dressed, as I mentioned, like an XFL tryout and or a stripper convention. Hey, it's me, Anthony Bigliosi. Denise, get over here. It's time for you to shine. You need to work that ass and shake those girls. If you can pull this off, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get you in a movie with, hold on for a minute, Eddie Murphy. That's right. I'm talking about you and Eddie, co-starring in The Adventures of Pluto Nash. (laughs) Hey, Charlie Sheen's been asking for your page number. Remember, this movie takes place in the 1990s. Do I have to put on a space suit? Are they going to film that in space? Hey, you don't have to put it on, but you do have to take it off. Hey-ho! Denise Denise Richards saunters over, and she essentially tells Matt Dillon that she wants to fuck him. And then then Denise Denise Richards comes over, and she says, Hey, can I come to your house and wash your Jeep for charity? Yeah, sure she is. She's never washed a car in her life. I doubt that beyond her own supple, smooth, tan skin, there is nothing in this world that she has ever washed. A car, her laundry. Hell, I bet she doesn't even wash her hands after she goes to the bathroom. Maybe Denise Richards truly is a person whose shit doesn't stink, and she doesn't have to do that sort of thing. Anything is on the table at this point. The volley of conversation here is her being like, so do you want to fuck? And... (laughs) But the the actual line here is, can anyone play or is this just for the boys? Who here wants to give me a ride home? 
<laughs> yeah, invites herself into his Jeep, and he's like, well, I don't know about this. This all seems like it maybe ain't on the up and up, you know? They get in the Jeep, and Third Eye Blind starts blaring semi-charm kind of oh, life. Again. Fuck! <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, this movie smacks you right in the face with its big 90s dick. <laughs> it's not just semi-charm kind of life and all the... Uh, <laughs> the the flannel and haircuts there's straight up local h in this movie <laughs> which is one of those things that you only hear in 90s movies and on playlists that i make we then get to see nev campbell and she's working on this rusted vw bug and she's got this poorly dyed red hair and she's you know a commoner you know one of the left behinds a misbegotten one of the others if you will yeah a bit of a and- grease monkey <laughs> Matt Dillon uh, pulls up in his Jeep and he says, hey, uh, you like Third Eye Blind? We're just cruising around, listening to the TV. Want to come with us? We're going to go to the mall and stop by a Gap. Maybe head over to Sam Goody's or Sharper Image, KB <laughs> Toys. Get a slice at Sparrow. It's the, late, it's the late 90s after all. You know, it's by the Radio Shack. I mean, those things been around forever. Ain't going nowhere now. <laughs> You can get it. You can get anything there. <laughs> like two-way radios. If you want to talk to somebody, you know that ain't too far away or something. <laughs> She's like, eh, "Fuck off, asshole." And he's like, "All right, I mean, I'm just trying to be a nice guy over here." And then he takes Denise Richards home, who has to lean across his lap to enter mm-hmm. a gate code, and she is just rubbing her tits from his collarbone down to his dick. While Smash Mouth is sing asking, why can't we be friends on the CD player? Right. Like, we get the one-two punch of Third Eye Blind and Smash Mouth. Like, I almost turned the movie off at this point. This movie's like Shrek, but with lesbians and murder and Kevin Bacon's big dick. Which makes it about a million times better than Shrek. (laughs) Then, Teresa Russell... Uh, Ken Russell's wife, who was in the movie Horror, as we pointed out, uh, comes out on the balcony dressed in a bathing suit and a robe, and mm-hmm. is just like, "Hey, Kevin Dillon, or, not Kevin Dillon. Holy shit, I went, I went the blob on this movie. Matt Dillon uh, is like, "Hey, do you want to, you want to come in?" And he's like, "No, I'm getting out of you. You girls are crazy. Smash Tur- Mouth is playing on my CD player. I'm not getting out. This is Jeep anytime soon. <laughs> no, it's just one of those songs. You just drive around, listen." To- Sydney Chom kind of live, maybe some Smash Mouth. It's pretty good, pretty good time. Teresa Russell is clearly like wanting wanting to get on um, Matt Dillon's Jimmy as well, and Denise Richards looks at her mom and is just like, "You slut!" Setting the stage for like, oh, this is there is some you know rivalry between mother and daughter for the affections of Matt Dillon, who seems like a nice guy and all, but Matt Dillon, all right. Well, he is a high school assistant principal, or maybe the janitor. He might be the lacrosse coach. You know, technically, I don't, I don't have a title. I, I kind of wander around. Like, I fill in gaps here and there. He's the high school conciliary. <laughs> right. You know, look, uh, there may be a time. Maybe that time will never come where you need a favor. We then cut to Matt Dillon, and he's just driving around in a swamp boat in alligator-infested water. And then we get a bunch of stock footage of alligators swimming around. And then we get to see Matt Dillon throwing some raw chicken into an alligator's mouth. So good for him. Good for us. Good for the alligator. Look, everything about this is just fine. The music sounds like it was taken from the soundtrack of Twin Peaks, which I'm on board for. (laughs) Yeah, There's a fan boat. 
and somebody is feeding raw chicken to an alligator. I was tickled fucking pink, Chad. Well, suddenly it's Sunday and Denise Richards and her less pretty nameless friend show up at Matt Dillon's house to wash his car. And there's a Mercedes parked alongside his dirty Jeep. And the Mercedes belongs to a female tennis pro that Matt Dillon is presently fucking. Don't worry about her. We're not going to see her too much in the movie. I love the fact that uh, when they, they show up at the door and they're like, you know, hey, Mr. Nameless Job, did you uh, w- want to get your car washed? And he's like, yeah, you know, I got nice and dirty for you. That's not a loaded statement or anything. It's just real muddy. And she's like, hey, Mr. Dylan, do you know where your hose is? And this is where the, the lady that Matt Dillon is with is like, look, I'm taking off i think i think you need to deal with this situation or don't whatever <laughs> matt Dillon, you know like barbara is is not having any of this and matt Dillon goes inside and <laughs> the movie then just stops for a second to mm-hmm. watch denise richards and her gal pal get all soapy and wet and wash his car and it truly is just an aerosmith video it's a moment that would make roger corman stand up and salute and also sport a giant erection. I, you, man, I almost feel like Roger Corman is a little too classy for this. I think it's more of a Russ Myers kind of thing. <laughs> like Roger Corman at the end of the day, like, I'm trying to tell a story here. And Russ Myers is just like, how big are cans? <laughs> Denise Richards and her less pretty friend finish washing the Jeep. And then Matt Dillon goes inside to get the coupon to pay for their efforts, whatever. And then Denise Richards tells her less than attractive friend, she's like, just run on ahead to the next car washing appointment as if there is one. And then Denise Richards goes inside Matt Dillon's house, just dripping head to toe to fuck Matt Dillon, who is her principal slash teacher slash campus security guard. Again, we have no idea what this man's job is. She's there looking all, you know, wanton and sexy like a young Lolita. And then fade to black, movie comes back, and we see Denise Richards leaving Matt Dillon's house with her shirt torn. Her face is visibly upset because something went sideways inside. Did Matt Dillon have sex with her? I don't know. Did he refuse to have sex with her? I don't know. You know what? Stick around a spell. We're going to sort this mess of trouble out. I got to tell you, when I was watching this scene, she runs by some potential witnesses that I thought originally I was like, oh, I wonder if they're going to have a a part two play in this tale. And they don't. But it looks like you did one of them Bubba Hotep color swaps on Daryl and Omar from Return of Swamp Thing. Where Mm -hmm. you got kind of a, a tall, reedy white kid and a real chubby black kid. And I can I can see that. Right. That would have well, made the movie better. Right. If she had been running by, she's like, oh, look. There. <laughs> look at her getting all soapy. She, she's in Aquarius. We get along great. <laughs> Quick, hide all the pictures <laughs> of her. Uh, and then we after Denise Richards runs off looking upset, a phone rings as Teresa Russell is just fucking some boy toy of hers. Yeah, that's that's Denise Richards' mom, right? Yeah, yeah. and Good she finds her. out she's yeah she's fucking her gardener slash pool boy slash the hell yeah who, whatever yeah, whoever. <laughs> and, and she, she gets, gets a call from the school and is all pissed off at like she picks up the phone she's like uh, uh, what 
About my daughter? What is it? She didn't come to school today. We think, you know, she was either skipping class or she was murdered. No, it's sure she's just... Ah! You know? <laughs> that, is, uh, that is my orgasm sound. I, I know. I recognize that. Um, <laughs> it turns out that Denise Richards is out in the back shooting skeet over the ocean or a lake or something. So Denise Richards comes back inside and she's talking with her mom and she's all pouty and sad. I like the way Denise Richards cries because she goes <laughs> between her, her tears. She gives it the double sniff. Uh, yeah. Um, and you know where I hear the double sniff more than anywhere else. When I enter into a men's room and someone's on the shitter and they give you the heads up that they're in there so that you know you're not alone. It's either the throat, co- like the throat clearing or the double sniff. It's either the, <clears throat> or it's the, <clears throat> I prefer the throat clearing because the double sniff, you're taking in some men's room stank. I like the high five over the stall door to let me know. Of <laughs> <laughs> <Up> high, buddy. <laughs> no, thank you, sir. <laughs> you give her hell. You know what I'm saying? I take the Tom Arnold approach is my position. Bite that lip and show that turd who's boss. <laughs> yeah, probably. In fact, not probably. Objectively, the best Tom Arnold cameo of all time. You give that turd hell is a great line. <laughs> Denise Richards' mom tries to console her daughter, who she can see is upset. And then Denise Richards says, I miss dad. And then the mom's like, yeah. I guess I miss him too. And she said, you know, he didn't have to kill himself. So you're like, whoa, we're dealing with family suicide. (laughs) Then Denise Richards is like, look, I'm going to see your dad committed suicide. And I'm going to up the ante by saying I was raped by Matt Dillon. The cadence of these tragedies that they just parfait on one another is truly staggering. Yeah. And at which point Teresa Russell stands up, gets a chair from her vanity ties a noose around her neck and leaps off said chair. Not before saying, I'm pregnant with triplets. (laughs) (laughs) And they're yours. (laughs) I don't even know how that's possible. Biology, go to school once in a while. Quit shooting skeet all goddamn day. Get off my back. (laughs) So then we cut to the police station where Kevin Bacon is interviewing Teresa Russell and Denise Richards and heart to heart comes in. Kids ask your parents about that, but he's like, oh, I'm a handsome attorney. Uh, anyone need a hand? You could also go ask your uncle who Dr. Evil's number two is. And the answer is the same question in both instances. <laughs> That's true. Robert Wagner has one of those voices uh, that I aspire to. He has a great voice. <laughs> so the detectives are, are talking alone with Denise Richards. And she is, in this scene, wearing a sweater over a button-up, which Mm -hmm. is as conservative as she has looked in this film by about an order of 25. Yes. She tells her story on camera. It's uh, Kevin Bacon and and his partner Lopez is her name. My favorite detail of this is she says, and his fingers were in me, you know, both places. (laughs) And you're like, whoa, he was double fist in this? (laughs) <laughs> or were you using what, like, you know, or was he rocking her with the shocker? Like, what? What was the choreography of the finger? I just need to know. Like, I need to put a finer point on the details of this this whole situation. I did not. I just was like, all right, let's just keep going. Because yeah. you're, it's like, is she telling the truth? Is she lying? 
we don't know. I do want to note that there's a third person in the room when she, when Denise Richards confesses and it's the district attorney. He looks like a chubby Rob Schneider. So he's like district attorney, Bob Schneider. (laughs) Yeah. Fresh off of the animal. (laughs) Blob Schneider rolls into town. Hey, you guys need a district attorney. Denise Richards says that during the assault that Matt Dillon used the phrase, don't worry. I didn't come because no little girl can ever make me come. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's what I write on public (laughs) toilet walls. Just as a rule, that lets them know I was there. And then, like, as soon as Denise leaves, like, Perez, Kevin Bacon's partner, is like, I don't buy it. That bitch is lying. And she's like, hey, let's get a lie detector in here. And Kevin Bacon's like, what the fuck are you talking about? She's like, a Van Ryan, which is a big deal in this town. And the boss, uh, the Blob Schneider, is like, hey, hey, before you start investigating, you need to bring a case. Or else there's nothing. You understand? One of you guys want to go have on a pie? <laughs> Triple pepperoni? Sausage? Huh? Something? I'll tell you what, that Deuce Bigelow sequel didn't really do well. So, uh, you know, if you guys want to split like a foot long from Subway, I really don't want to pay for a whole foot long of, of my own. But, uh, I don't know, do you like tuna? I guess I should start there. Do you like tuna? How about a spicy Italian? I can go either way today. I got a drawer full of mayonnaise packets down here. I keep them, you know, just for case of emergencies. I got coupons to every restaurant in a 50-mile radius. You just tell me what you want. You feel like Cuban today? Because I can make that happen. Two words. Golden Corral. (laughs) Who's down? Hey, turns out the AARP doesn't really ask a lot of questions. I'm getting 10% off the movie tickets anywhere I go. We cut to Matt Dillon. (laughs) First, we cut to a lizard in a terrarium as this movie couldn't get any more on the nosy. It's just like, hey, everybody, here's a big lizard. What do you think about that? Matt Dillon is at his desk, just, you know, I guess kicking around the old bean a little bit. And somebody sends a paper fucking airplane through his window like it's to kill a mockingbird. And he's just like, oh, well, you know, somebody sent me an email. He unfolds this piece of paper to find a caricature of him getting a star-spangled blowjob from a woman. And for, it's a pretty good cartoon. I mean, it's a real Harvey Picar-inspired work. If I may read my note here, the paper airplane was a pretty good cartoon of him getting a blowjob. We were on the same page, and listeners, that's how you know it's true. When we both independently agree, we have independent corroboration of the fact that this is, in fact, a pretty good cartoon blowjob. I'm going to go on record and say it's the best It's the best cartoon blowjob I've ever seen in a motion picture from the year 1998. Prove us wrong, listeners. Jimmy, uh, who is the guy that was sailing with Matt Dillon earlier is the only one still taking a sailing class anymore. Like, Matt Dillon, like, it's really dried up business for him uh, in his question mark of a job. <laughs> Jimmy's like, I still believe in you, sir. He's like, yeah, that's great. You better get out of here, because here comes the principal. Looks like he's really upset. I think it's the principal. It's some other guy who, com- <laughs> who comes down, and Matt Dillon's like, yeah, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. He's like, yeah, you should probably lawyer up, man. And here is why this movie could only be made in the 90s, because the thrust of this movie is a man being accused of sexual assault. And the perspective of the movie is that it will fuck up his life for no good reason. 
And, you know, even though he's insisting on his innocence and so forth, like the perspective that this story is told from is just something that I don't know you could get away with today just because the, the you know, sort of social climate has changed so that there's this um, more of an immediate uh, sort of belief in the victim telling the story. Whereas this movie is just like, I don't know, she could be lying, you know, I mean, look at me, I look pretty honest, right? I mean, I drive a Jeep. But he he is insisting that he's innocent, and he's like, you know, I can never get clear of this. It's going to follow me around. He, the principal is like, you need to get an attorney, which means it's time for the movie to bring in the hero of this story, Bill Murray. When Bill Murray shows up in this movie, your first thought is, what the hell is Bill Murray doing in this movie? And I got to tell you, I think this is exactly what it's like in real life when you were in some Massachusetts lobster roll seaside dive restaurant and Bill Murray shows up, you know, you're, you're completely caught off guard. You're happy that he's there. You're kind of sad that he's there. You feel better that he's there, but at the same time, you're kind of sad that he showed up and found you there. It's a real mishmash of joy and sorrow, surprise, confusion, indignation, hero worship. You're just like, I, I don't know what to make of this. Thank God you're here. I wish you weren't. <laughs> I I don't know about that. I was more like fully, I'm glad you're here. Because this is the uh, the cumin that this film needed. Like all the, the sexy time stuff that we're going to get to, you need a Bill Murray to come in and, and lighten things up a little bit. And kind of remind the audience like, no, 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 it's okay to have fun with this movie. And in this scene, it, he's wearing this neck brace. A black neck brace, a, a, which I've a, never seen before. You're racist. And he's, <laughs> <laughs> he is laying out the accusation of, you know, from Dylan. Like, here, you know, here's what Denise Richards says. And, and uh, Matt Dillon is contesting his innocence. And uh, Matt Dillon is finally like, hey, you know, I don't mean to get personal or nothing, but what happened to your neck, you know? And he's like, oh, there was an insurance guy here earlier. And then rips the neck brace off. And the next line out of his mouth is, okay, so let me tell you how I charge. And that's the scene. Again, another nice edit of, hey, let's go out on this nice little sly joke. Of, hey, let you know, like Bill Murray is a complete shyster kind of lawyer. I don't know the order in which this movie was filmed and There's Something About Mary was filmed. But I really think that Matt Dillon just ripped off Bill Murray's performance in this movie for <laughs> Matt Dillon's performance in There's Something About Mary. Uh, you're right. I, I think you're uh, you're absolutely right. Because this, I believe this did come out before There's Something About Mary. I don't know when they were shot. But as I watched this, I was like, oh, yeah, Matt Dillon's just doing Bill yeah, Murray I, in that other film. I kind of want to go back and watch that now just to watch <laughs> for that. Then we have Matt Dillon uh, pulling up in uh, like the, the boat club in his Jeep. And he's like, you know, hey, Frankie, are you going to park my car today? It's, you know, it's Jeep. Not, maybe not as nice as some of the cars you're parking around here. And the valet is like, sorry, sir, I can't park your par car anymore because of all the rape. And, <laughs> and then heart to heart pulls up behind him is like, by the way, my favorite bar none line of the movie is Robert Wagner saying the following. You're finished here, Lombardo. Take a hike. <laughs> Fucking amazing. 
And it turns <laughs> out that his daughter is the the lady that Matt Dillon was fucking earlier. The tennis pro right. chick. Yeah. And it's just like, you're never going to get your hands on this again. Take a good look, Lombardo. This whole scene feels like they just translated a Spanish soap opera into English. <laughs> or, the, like, speaking of Key Largo, a page out of that got shuffled into this movie. <laughs> and it was just like, why is he talking like this? I don't know, but it sounds fucking great. L- l- like, listen to Robert Wagner saying noir lines is, you could give it to me all day long. You know? Come on, copper. Reach for the sky. We cut away from the country club and we head to the real Florida. The <laughs> sticks in the outback where things get sweaty. Matt Dillon shows up and he just starts getting drunk and drippy in his own dew. He wanders over to an establishment called the Glades Motel, as in Everglades Motel. Uh-huh. And he, he immediately just unbuttons another button on his shirt that was already halfway unbuttoned. Because it's a hot day today. Hot yesterday, most likely going to be hot tomorrow. And I think that's a natural reaction anytime you look at a motel called The Glades. If you are wearing anything that has a button on it, it's coming unbuttoned. You think they have a dress code there? Do you mean Florida? Then yes. Because it's not just rural Florida. It is just like, whoo, I best get as naked as I possibly can regardless of the general public around me. No shirt, no shoes, no problem. Come on in. Also, the bar is called Smiling Jacks, which is a great bar name as well. As you can tell, at this point in the movie, I'm having a ball. Matt Dillon gets all liquored up, so he decides to take the next natural step and do a little drunk driving. There's no reason to waste a good drunk sleeping it off safely in bed. So Matt Dillon goes off to endanger the lives of others. It is, after all, Florida. Instead, Matt Dillon gets run off the road by a vengeful Range Rover. Matt Dillon's Jeep flips over into this swamp. So, one, he should be dead, but he's not. And the the music in this scene is a real low-rent version of the shower scene from Psycho. It's a lot of... The driver of the driver of the Range Rover comes back to see if Matt Dillon's all right. Wink, wink. Matt Dillon is bleeding from the head, so he's not all right. So the driver of the Range Rover, just for context, it's that guy that Denise Richards' mom was fucking earlier in the bed when she got the call that her daughter didn't jump at school. Well, he starts punching Matt Dillon in the head while they are both standing in alligator-infested water, while a curious raccoon high in a tree watches on in adorable fashion. (laughs) And there's an alligator peeping it out too. Like not just are the alligator infested waters. There is clearly an alligator just like, Hey, welcome to the movie. Uh, I just heard that Matt Dillon was going to fist fight some beefcake right next door. I came over to get a look. Looks pretty good. What do you say? People did the editor or director. There's no way in the script. It says alligator rises from water cut to adorable raccoon dangling from tree watching on with curiosity some conscious adult had to say okay okay i like this you know what sneak in that shot of the raccoon he's just i love him we need something for the kids <laughs> like uh william forsyth wanting to dangle string in the scrooge adaptation <laughs> 
It's for cats, you know. Cats are one of the biggest segments, uh, untapped segments of television viewers. Yeah, Matt Dillon just gets the ever-living shit kicked out of him by this dude while the alligator and raccoons of the world look on. And then uh, we cut to Bill Murray showing up at Matt Dillon's house, also in his neck brace, which, again, I think is a nice gag. He comes around to the front door, and there, it is clear that a brick has been thrown through Matt Dillon's window. Why? Who knows? Not us, the movie-going audience. It's never explained, but continue. And then Bill Murray, because he's Bill Murray, continues to just sneak around his house, on the outside of the house, where he is greeted by Matt Dillon, who is holding a harpoon gun. Yes, and not since the movie House has a harpoon gun been so welcome in a film. I'm going to one-up you on that and say Sharky's Machine still holds the title for greatest harpoon gun usage ever. He yeah. shoots a ninja with a harpoon yeah. gun in that movie. Not, look, hey, I'm not fighting you. You're right. That is the greatest use of a harpoon gun. I mean, again, listeners, write in and tell us how we're wrong. And uh, P.S. We're not. Don't give me that Friday the 13th Part 3 bullshit either. Oh, no, no, no. That, that, it's a shitty effect on a wire. It, it, and also, not hitting a ninja. So, although, now that we say it, Jason Voorhees v. Ninjas, kind of a movie I want to see. I'll start working on that one as soon as we wrap up this episode. Thank you. And Frankie Kondo, it turns out, was the name of the guy who roughed up Matt Dillon and was driving Teresa Russell's SUV. Right. And Bill Murray is like, you know, I got some shit on Kelly Van Ryan. It turns out when she killed or when her dad killed himself, Denise Richards took off and was found coked up in some ratty motel is how Bill Murray puts it. That's really the easy part of this story to believe, because <laughs> the next thing we hear is that Matt Dillon was voted educator of the year once upon a time, which is impossible to believe. And Bill Murray seems healthily skeptical, too. Because the way he puts it is like, you won, you know, teacher of the year or whatever it was. Like, he's just like, yeah, you won something. And it was bullshit. We both know that. But it looks good on paper. It's it's like one of those situations where you can't be voted employee of the month more than once in a year. And there's only 11 employees. Yeah. So everyone else had already been awarded educator of the year. And it was like, well, we got to give it to Matt Dillon. I mean, rules are rules, right? Right. It's a real outstanding achievement in the field of excellence situation. <laughs> and he tells Matt Dillon, Bill Murray does, hey, the reason that the police aren't interviewing you is because they're looking for dirt on you. And then he says, so is there any? And Matt Dillon says, I don't fuck my students. And it's like, all right, I mean, that's that's a real, you know, read my lips, no do taxes kind of moment here. And then we follow Kevin Bacon and his partner, Detective Lopez, to the gator farm. <laughs> they meet this white trash old woman who has a perpetual cigarette just hanging from her bottom lip. And Kevin Bacon shows up and he says, yeah, we're looking for Susie. And I'm thinking, who the hell is Susie? Let's find out. So they wander out back of this gator farm to find the mysterious Susie. And it turns out that that's Nev Campbell. I don't think we've heard her name spoken in the movie yet. But Nev Campbell, she's in her room and she's listening to some nice 90s grunge. Local H, as mentioned earlier. (laughs) Not an addict on Bo's playlist in perpetuity. 
she's reading Death on the Installment Plan, which is a companion volume to Louis Ferdinand Celine's earlier novel, Journey to the End of the Night. And this work was published uh, in real rapid succession in the early 1930s. And really, these two books shocked European literature and world consciousness collectively. I mean, they really were an examination of the author's childhood in Paris, uh, in the slums, how he performed services in World War I and through the African jungles. It really mixed unmitigated despair with gargantuan comedy. It also really created this new style in which obscenity was laced with phrases of unforgettable poetry. I mean, Celine's influence revolutionized the contemporary approach to fiction. Hmm. So then Nev Campbell uh, tells Kevin Bacon, hey, what took you guys so long? Somebody could have been in here fucking me in the ass. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, shots fired, right? And then they're like, hey, you called us. (laughs) You know, like, did you just lure us in here because you had a (laughs) punchline? Are you asking me? Or are you no, asking her? I'm asking her. <laughs> and and so she's like, hey, did you arrest Matt Dillon? And uh, they're like, no, we, we haven't. She's like, let's go outside. Let's take a walk. And then tells the story of Matt Dillon giving her uh, a ride as well and saying, him telling her, like, you know, you could be really pretty, which is kind of my dentist move. And then, <laughs> and then she says, he also raped me. And they're like, hey, hey, hey. We're getting a whole lot of Matt Dillon rape stories lately. What makes you so special? And she says, oh, yeah? Well, you know what he said to me? He said that he not to worry because he wasn't going to be able to come from some little bitch. And it's like, Yahtzee, we've got ourselves a rapist. (laughs) Nev Campbell tells these two officers, quote, he pushed me to the floor and he did it to me. What? I'm not, I'm not saying I don't believe you, but do you understand how sex happens? Maybe? Not since uh, me uh, asking someone if they would like to make the sex act has sex felt so sexy. <laughs> and then, like, the very next shot is Matt Dillon being walked into prison. And Bill Murray kind of trailing behind him is like, hey, I know you got denied bail, but I'm going to work to get you out of here. There's a little bit of gay panic in this movie where the cell door closes and Matt Dillon has like a real roommate or cellmate. The cellmate's probably more appropriate. Roommate it, sounds- it is. Yeah. That, this guy's not covering half the rent and picking up the electric bill. Right. Leaving nasty notes about the DVR <laughs> being recorded over. No, no, no. This guy looks like, uh, like mankind from the WWE went to prison and he's just like, huh? I guess you're the new chicken licker. What is a chicken licker? Cocksucker. Prison lingo. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. Chicken, cock, liquor, sucker. It is a real SAT, like chicken is to cock as liquor is to sucker. But yeah, that's what it is. He's like, mm, guess somebody's about to get deep throated, and it ain't me, spoilers. <laughs> and Matt Dillon has a real hi. Like I look on his face, which is pretty great. But anyway, so we leave him in jail for a second because you know no, we're not gonna we're not gonna leave him there too long because justice is swift in this county because <laughs> yeah. the next day let's get this trial started. <laughs> Matt Dillon's in court. Bill Murray's there beside him, still in his black neck brace. The judge comes in, and I was like, "Please be Felicia Rashad. Please be Felicia Rashad. Please be Felicia Rashad." But it's not. It's just some nameless 
female judge, so mm-hmm. meh, boo. We get to see Denise Richards on the stand, and District Attorney Blob Schneider really presses Denise Richards on her version of the story and where is the closest honeybake ham. Uh, for him to go check out during the lunch break. Ha, look, uh, you want me to pick you up something too? Because, you know, it turns out if you buy for four or more, all your drinks are free. They got sweet tea. They've got really good sweet tea. They sell by the gallon. They sell it by the gallon or also by the drum. Gallons for you, drum for me. Let me ask you this. Lemon, yes or no? You know, I'll I'll get a lot of lemons and some oranges. I'll tell you what. I'll tell them to put it all on the side. And then you can limit it up. Don't limit it up. It's all up to you. But either way, that tea is free, sister. While she's on the same, while she's being questioned, Denise Richards makes the statement, he raped me on the floor of his shitty house. Uh-huh. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can levy a lot of charges at Matt Dillon, namely rape in this scene. But his house is actually all right. I mean, it ain't the best, but it I wouldn't call it shitty. I mean, we just got back from the Gator Farm. That seems like a much shittier house. But then again, Denise Richards wasn't there. And, you know, her points of comparison are probably limited. After her being on the stand, the case is kind of done and done all in one day, according to the TV reporter's exposition from outside the courtroom. (laughs) She's the best. Totally recaps like, hey, if you weren't paying attention the last 10 minutes, here's what's happening. We cut back inside the courtroom and Bill Murray's there to save the day. Nev Campbell is now on the stand and Bill Murray calls her out for calling Matt Dillon when Nev Campbell got busted for shoplifting and vandalism. Essentially, his version of the story is that Nev Campbell was buddies with Matt Dillon, and if he had raped her, she wouldn't have been calling him to help her out when she was in a pinch. Right. Significantly, she called him before and after the the date of the rape she is accusing him of. This escalates into a real low-rent, you-can't-handle-the-truth moment when Nev Campbell admits that she lied about the rape and it was, in fact, Denise Richards' idea to frame Matt Dillon because Matt Dillon was fucking Denise Richards' mom. And all of this is officially in the court record. So Denise Richards just rushes the front of the courtroom. She picks up a highball that's filled with water, or let's be honest, vodka or gin, and she just chunks it at Nev Campbell. You're out of order. I'm out of order. The whole courtroom's out of order. It's just, it's the stuff of daytime soap operas. And outside this courtroom, it is an absolute circus. Yes. It, it, she calls her as she throws this glass of water at Nev Campbell, calls her a skank, which again <laughs> is one of those moments where I'm like, this movie is all right. You know? So immediately outside in this circus environment, like Bill Murray and, and Matt Dillon, are, it is an immediate exoneration. It's later that afternoon. The court, the trial started at 10. We're wrapped up by 2.45. (laughs) Right. The reporter's just like, hey, remember what I told you earlier? It turns out the craziest thing happened inside. Well, Denise Richards was watching Nev Campbell on the stand. Nev Campbell said that Denise Richards was fucking Matt Dillon or accusing him of that because she really wanted to fuck him. And her mom was instead fucking him. So... When that came out, Denise Richards then threw a glass of water at her and called her a skank. It was crazy. And then Bill Murray and Matt Dillon are in Bill Murray's like shitty car. It's an AMC gremlin. That's bright (laughs) yellow. In the 90s, this was the go-to comedic car. It all started with Wayne's World. And you'll just find them peppered throughout. And during this scene, on the radio is Iggy Pop doing a cover of Louie Louie. 
shouldn't it be playing a cover of the Trog's Wild Thing? Or hell, for that matter, Tone Loke's Wild Thing. We don't ever get any Wild Thing in this movie. There's part of me that, re- the, more Tone Loke than uh, the Trog's. They couldn't have like went and got like the Bengals to come in and do a cover. Like a, a hazy shade of winter take yeah, on it where yeah. it's all ethereal and airy. That'd be all right. right. Yeah, all right. I'm with you now. I've come around on this. Bill Murray's driving and he's talking to Matt Dillon about their big win. And then he pulls up alongside a limousine that contains Denise Richards and her rich mom and her lawyer, Robert Wagner. And he just pulls up beside the limousine and gives them the finger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a classy move, but I like it. Inside the limo is a bunch of rich people and things didn't go their way. And so we come back to... I guess it's probably what 515 in that exact same day because Bill Murray, attorney at law, is there with his client, Matt Dillon, and then Denise Richards and her entourage, her mom and her lawyer, they all show up and they just start signing papers saying, we're just going to pay you off with a ton of money. Uh, Sorry, no hard feelings. Yeah. And notably, it's Bill Murray that proposes this countersuit. Where he's like, hey, you can sue the shit out of the Van Ryans and make a mint. And Matt Dillon's like, really? I never thought about that. That's a pretty good idea. And sure enough, you know, that afternoon, Heart to Heart shows up with a check and is like, well, I guess this is all over now, Bill Murray. Right. That's it. Matt Dillon is now a rich man. Movie over. Roll credits. Done and done. Bo, what is coming up on the next episode of Pick 6 Movies? Oh, Chad, we are in for a treat because it's the rest of Wild Things. <laughs> There's a great gag here I want to point out where they're in the office where it, it's a, almost a callback to the Ghostbusters gag where Bill Murray tells his secretary to hold his calls on the intercom on his desk and she just stands up and looks over the like shitty little divider between her desk and his is like, okay, <laughs> it's all right. It was great in Ghostbusters. This feels like the watered down version of that. Like, who do we have in this movie? Bill Murray? Do you remember that thing from Ghostbusters? Can we get him to do that here? And he's just like, whatever, man. Did my check clear? (laughs) You let me meet Robert De Niro by casting me in Mad Dog and Glory. Whatever the fuck you want me to do is fine, you know? The next scene, probably later that afternoon, is Matt Dillon packing up his shit at school. And the principal is like, are you really sure that you want to leave and immediately after uh the principal is like you know you still have a place here but but matt Dillon is a rich man he doesn't need to teach anymore slash ever well some people do it for the love of of the game chad and we call those people suckers (laughs) because (laughs) if you gave me a million dollars they would sing folk songs in the hills about the way that i blew that money in vegas (laughs) It would be a real leaving Las Vegas scenario, only not intentional. I, I could see that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, just you get that random text about 315 Las Vegas time, and all it reads is found prime rib bleeding. That's it. <laughs> as, as Matt Dillon is leaving his wink wink office at school, Denise Richard shows up and she throws a book at Matt Dillon and she's really angry because her mother broke her trust to get the money to pay off Matt Dillon. And in the melee, Denise Richards breaks Matt Dillon's Teacher of the Year award, mm. which that really had to hurt. And hey, Anthony Bigliosi, super agent to the stars here. This is the kind of performance that high-class talent under my tutelage delivers on screen. 
and it's not just drama that Miss Denise Richards can deliver on demand. She is slated to appear in will what most certainly be the biggest comedy of the new millennium alongside Brandon Fraser in a little piece of work called Monkey Bone. That's right. Oh, I said I wasn't going to work with animals. Yeah, emphasis is on the bone, sweetheart, you know? Put your top on. Oh, not too tight. okay. Does the monkey have a bone? Uh, anyway, gonna... I don't know why that's Anastasia Steele all of a sudden. <laughs> You're going to find out, sweetheart. M- Matt Dillon makes his way back to the Glades Motel, which is now 100% dead hooker free, meaning that they don't charge for the dead hookers anymore. <laughs> right. 17 days since the last drug bust. <laughs> Matt Dillon goes into his room and then he closes the open window, which I was like, that's disturbing that the window is open. And then I got even more disturbed when it was closed because I'm thinking this place has got to smell horrible. It smells like cigarettes. Matt Dillon turns around and he sees Denise Richards in his room. And is she there to kill him? Maybe. What's in her hand? It looks like a gun. Oh my. Why is the music escalating in such a suspenseful tone? Psych. It turns out that Denise Richards has a bottle of champagne in her hand and it's not a gun. Wait, she was in on all of this? Mm -hmm. This is crazy, Bo. Right. (laughs) Too bad we don't have the reporter here to recap real quick. Can you believe it, viewers? (laughs) Denise Richards and Matt Dillon were working together the whole time. It can't get crazier than this. Wait, this just in. Nev Campbell is now in the hotel room. She was in on all of this, too. These three are going to split the money equally three ways. And speaking of three ways, let's have a (laughs) three-way. Well, Matt Dillon is giving him the business, the rough side of his tongue, if you will. Hey, this is Nova, you know, like we can't be seen together. A lot lot of people probably going to be looking at us for a little bit. He says, after tonight, we can't be seen together. And Denise Richards says, you said after tonight. And he goes, yeah, how about just undress you a little bit? Won't you and Nev Campbell over here just kiss each other a a little bit? And then I'm just going to rub it and maybe just touch a tip a little. And then he does, he kind of out Fifty Shades this movie by doing the Fifty Shades move where he's like, I'm just going to bend down, take your panties off, just right down your legs like this. And then he does the creepiest thing, which is he puts them in his pocket. (laughs) (laughs) That is a true pervert's move. I like that Nev Campbell, when she gets pulled into this, she doesn't have to take off her top and do full frontal nudity. Whereas Denise Richards is just letting everything hang out. There was a real interesting story about the negotiations that went on between Anthony Bigliosi and Uh uh, Denise Richards and the movie uh, studio about how much nudity was going to be in it because originally it was just going to be like a breast was negotiated and by the time the movie came along it was just like yeah yeah put everything in there you know Anthony Bigliosi super agent of the stars yes Denise Richards shows her nipples in this movie a lot I negotiated this part personally myself originally movie producers didn't want that much full nudity but I knew I had a star on my hands and the best way for her to shine was by taking off her top little inside scoop I got the same deal coming up for Kathy Bates in this new Jack Nicholson flick (laughs) about shit it's coming out in a couple of years remember this review is taking place in the 1990s all right so Back to the other bullshit we're going to talk about. Do you think anyone has ever described About Schmidt as a sexy movie? 
Oh, yeah. Everybody's got something that... Yeah, all right. You're right. You're right. All right. Now, as soon as I say it, I was like, well, it's a big world. Somebody is just like, I think the world in all of Kathy Bates. I'm just saying, when you see that scene, you're like, boy, you can really let yourself go. <laughs> you know, it, you just, you blink, and one day, the next thing you know, you're sitting on your own gut. He's like sitting on your own tits. Um, Ew. So Denise Richards and Nev Campbell, they're making out. And remember, they're supposed to be 17 or 18 or 29 years old. And Matt Dillon is their teacher, guidance counselor, tennis instructor, something. He's just in the middle of this sex sandwich. And just as things really start to get super sexy, fade to black. Boo. Yeah. I'm In fairness, you get... You know, a glimpse of a three-way. You get him drinking champagne off Denise Richards' tits. You get Nev Campbell, the best you're going to do there in terms of Anthony Bigliosi, is like, you get her back, that's all. Bare back, all right? That's sexy enough. Yeah, I, th- I think her representation was like, no. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. How? What is Denise Richards doing? How about you go fuck yourself? That's our position on that. She can show whatever she wants. She wants to do the splits and show the world her puss, by all means. Nev Campbell, keeping it classy. And I will say, again, I think this scene alone is hotter than anything else we've seen this season. With the exception, potentially, of just dudes and Magic Mike. Depending <laughs> if that's your thing. I mean, that's a real beefcake. You know, in terms of just like, hey, we've got three sexy people... It's a little bit naughty. It's a little bit taboo. Even the uh, sliding the panties down is one-upped with going in the pocket. Like, everything that's <laughs> happening here, I'm like, all right, wild things. Like, let's let's put it out there. And and it's not the sexiest thing that happens in the movie. I can't wait to hear what you rate as the sexiest thing in this movie if it's not that. Surprise I, me later. I like all alligators. Right. God. So, <laughs> so glad you didn't say that little raccoon. <laughs> that's... They're like little thieves, Chad. That's what I like. (laughs) Kevin Bacon decides to show up and start acting in this movie. Every scene he's been in so far, it's just him darting his eyes around, looking at people. But now we're going to get some full throttle bacon. Full throttle bacon, by the way. The brand new burger at Wendy's. And I can't wait uh, for one, Chad. So they're talking about looking stupid, essentially. Like, Bacon wants to keep investigating. Uh, His partner is like, hey, if you keep after the Van Ryans, eventually this is going to blow up in your face. Yeah, but he's got a a theory that Matt Dillon went after Denise Richards to get the mom's money. Right. And he thinks that this three-way concoction of a doe-eyed, cocaine-addicted teenage debutante and then this... South Florida gator bait party of five white trash. We're just icing on the cake of him scoring all of this cash. Right. And he is mostly suspicious because he says, why would Matt Dillon not discuss the affair that he had with Teresa Russell, AKA Denise Richards, mom in this movie. And then lays out this whole, like he's a mastermind kind of thing. He's a gentleman. (laughs) We don't talk about those things in polite society. How dare you? Right. And his partner, Lopez, who is surprisingly significant uh, in the sense that she kind of wraps up the movie. That is a surprise. Yeah. As in, what is going on here? It's This movie does only a few things wrong. 
uh, I think, and that's one of them. Like this character is so underserved. And yeah, but but you but you say that as though they're excusable. What you're talking about is you accidentally swapped out salt for the sugar in the cake you were making. It's just like God. What is this? This is horrible. <laughs> Whoopsie. So he's kind of staking out this bank when Matt Dillon comes out, you know, like, hey, look at this. I got a briefcase full of money. I feel like a big boy man. But but he won this settlement and he went to the bank and deposited the money and then he withdrew some of the money. There's nothing about this that is suspicious. Even later, he's like, he's like, yeah, uh, Matt Dillon went and bought a boat. Well, good for him. He's mm-hmm. sitting on a huge stack of money. There's nothing wrong with any of that. I agree. I if I were him, I would do the, you know, the exact same thing. You cash out of everything and you're just like, hey, I'm going to buy a boat and an island and the rest of the world can fuck off. If you know where, if you if you want to know where to find me, then don't. It is private and it is guarded. I have populated this island outside of this like raptor electric fence around my compound with uh-huh. nothing but horny baboons. You take right. one step on this island, you are getting your jaw ripped off and your claw, your eyes clawed out, or you are getting fucked by a baboon. One of those right. two things is happening. You need to reach me, write a letter, care of Kaiser Soze. Drop it in the <laughs> mailbox, it'll reach me. Like, your close friend, you know, would know, like, hey, look, I'm, I've got this island, it's filled with baboons, I'll tell you how to get through. But for the rest of the world, it's just like, <laughs> you can suck it. We get to Denise Richards and she's getting out of this swimming pool and she's wearing this one piece bathing suit that is designed in such a way that it somehow accentuates her breasts and nipples to be on full display. It's as if modesty got drunk and vomited all over the place. (laughs) It is the bathing suit equivalent of those pins that you would turn upside down and the lady would suddenly be undressed. It is somehow like more naked than naked in this bathing suit. (laughs) It's like the inverse of a bikini, if that's possible. Like all the parts that should be hidden aren't. Look, there is absolutely nothing wrong with a young Denise Richards. I mean, she's a beautiful young lady of course but yeah it's from the uh the the bigliosi collection of <laughs> swimwear <laughs> yeah hey don't worry about it. it it covers enough don't you worry about it you know the camera is just sliding up her body to see kevin bacon approaching <laughs> the first words out of his mouth are nice stroke and it's like of course movie this is where we live in this film everything is a double entendre if not a triple entendre wouldn't you have loved to have seen Chevy Chase play the Kevin Bacon role? One, because I would have liked to have seen Chevy Chase's dick. But then all of these moments of the nakedness would have just been a nightmare. Yeah. So he asks, like, hey, how do you think things are going to work out between the three of you? And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, it's hard when one person keeps a secret. Never mind three. And one of you is going to break. One of you is going to screw somebody over. And you guys are going to kill Nev Campbell, too. Right. He's like, oh, my goodness. That's a good idea. We should... Definitely do that. And so Denise Richards is just like, fuck off, pig, and is taken off. (laughs) That's more me than her, but you know. And then he calls out after him, hey, how do you think Susie's going to hold up? Susie? Who is that? Nev Campbell. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. (laughs) Right, she's in this. So Kevin Bacon heads out to Nev Campbell's South Florida trailer trash gator farm. (laughs) Dressed up like Stanley Kowalski for no reason. He comes in and he sees her. And he says, hey, I'm sorry about Davey. You're like, Davey? What are you, what the hell are you people talking about? 
king of the wild frontier, Chad, David Gragas. I guess so. Well, it doesn't really matter because in this conversation, Kevin Bacon escalates things to where he starts choking Nev Campbell. And then he's like, take a look at this bank document that shows Matt Dillon legally took the money that he legally won and legally deposited in an account and legally bought a sailboat. What do you think about that? Huh? You're an idiot is what she calls him. And it's like, wow, th- it feels like a, a rapid de-escalation from her talking about getting fucked in the ass, her words, not mine, to you're an idiot, big dumb, dumb poo-poo head. Kevin Bacon tells Nev Campbell that he's wise to what's going on here. And he says that uh, you're going to get squeezed out because you're white trash. And so Nev Campbell calls Matt Dillon and he's nowhere to be found. So trouble so she then decides that she's going to go to denise richard's house and then matt dillon calls denise he's like hey i got a crazy message from Susie. Uh, you better call them bitches down denise richards is like hey can you come over and he's like look i'm you know i'm, I'm filming I, I i can't do nothing right now we can't be seen together and kept the whole time kevin bacon is filming all of this and matt dillon is just like hey Get get Susie on the phone too. I want to talk to both of you. Hey, look, the only the only people who can fuck this up is the three of us. All right, so don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> Nev Campbell shows up and to see Denise Richards. And Nev Campbell is it Nev Campbell that calls Denise Richards a stupid cunt, or does Denise Richards call Nev Campbell a stupid cunt? Do you remember? I don't recall precisely. All that matters, Chad, is that one girl called the other girl a stupid cunt, and we are all right. the better for it. Right. Well, because that leads to a swimming pool cat fight, <laughs> which leads to anger, disgust. Fury, and finally, passion. Because Denise Richards and Nev Campbell start making out again in the swimming pool. Tops come off, and here we go. Anthony Bigliosi, super agent (laughs) to the stars. Have I got a script for you, Denise? You think the lesbian action in this artistic masterpiece is classy? I don't know what I'm Take a gander at this script. It's called Geely, and you're going to star next to none other than Ben Affleck. How do you like them apples? <laughs> I do Take like apples. Off. One of my favorite things about this scene, too, is that Kevin Bacon literally goes wide-eyed when they start kissing. Boing. Right. Like, it's real ooga kind of thing. Oh, it's so good. The film that he's making with his handheld camera, we transition to police HQ and district attorney Bob Schneider. He's calling out Kevin Bacon for being a pervert and watching this homemade lesbian fuck movie on company time and the fact that he didn't show up with a box full of Krellers. He knows that it's Tuesday and that's the day he gets his Krellers. Also, look, I hope you're not planning on saving that tape. We can record over that a bunch of times. We don't have to keep buying videotapes is what I'm saying. Saving money starts at the, with the little things. You take care of the pennies, the dollars take care of themselves. Okay, everyone? Have you seen the cost of our craft services for this police department? It's ridiculous. I don't know what's going on. We've got to find budget savings. First place I'm going to start is with videotapes. We only need one. I'll tell you what, we are going to start shopping at the Aldi around here. I, look, I know you got to take your own back, but the deals are unbeatable. But yeah, so Kevin Bacon is just showing this fuck tape that he's filmed, which rightfully they're like, are, what are you doing just hanging out in people's bushes filming them having sex? And the boss is like, look, there is absolutely no case. And Matt Dillon has been brought in yet again. And yeah. and he he's waiting for him out in the hallway while they're watching this stroke video. Like, like they close the blinds and they're like, look, we'll be back to you in about 10 to 15 minutes. As soon as they go back to Matt Dillon, he's like, hey, look, you know, if you pull me in here again i'm gonna have to sue you i mean no hard feelings or nothing but it's starting to feel like a little harassment you know 
on the way out, Matt Dillon calls Kevin Bacon like, hey, shut up, cocksucker. And Bacon says, what did you say? <laughs> it's a... <laughs> like there is nothing I like more than it when two people are arguing when one person gets indignant. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, man, go fuck yourself. What did you say to me? Like, I love that. To the point where he's like, come say that to my face. <laughs> you know? It's a real well, the other guy's in cuffs. Yeah. Big man mouthing off when I can't defend myself, aside from my vulgar barbs and my poisoned tongue. Take this, Mr. Bacon. My japes and jabs. Kevin Bacon goes in to see his female sidekick. In her office, she has her own water cooler that's just for her, which seemed weird to me. And during the scene, Kevin Bacon says, you know, I, I once saw something bad and I didn't do anything to prevent it. And I was like, you're talking about something important, but I don't know what in the hell you're talking about. Just... Keep the movie going. Let's just keep going. Right. Eventually, this will either play out or it won't. It doesn't matter because no. <laughs> because nipples are on the way. Denise Richards and, and Nev Campbell are smoking weed and just driving around. It's like, oh, well, this isn't going to end well. They're getting a little bit drunk, and Denise Richards is totally being the bad friend of like, oh, no, you should finish the whole thing. Chug, chug, chug. Let's <laughs> have a good time. We're just out out for a little bit of a party. I'll tell you what. If you get super duper drunk, you win. Nev Campbell is just like, that sounds great. I'm just going to keep shaking. They go out in the middle of nowhere. And Denise Richards, who, God bless her, just can't pull off a lie in this movie to save her life, is like, oh my God, I left the keys in the car. I'll just go back and get them. And Nev Campbell is just like, Great, I just gotta lay in the beach because I'm super drunk. And then she sees Matt Dillon and just kind of strolling up. And he's like, hey, Susie, I was worried about you. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, I'm so drunk. We should totally be together. We should open a bar. All of us, the three of us. I can bartend. That'd be amazing. Get a place where we can live upstairs. And then we can just work. And then if we get tired, we'll go upstairs. And I'm so tired, I want to kiss you. Yeah, we we can we can start the bar with this bottle of champagne that I've got in my hand. Hang on, let me open it by cracking you upside the head. Right, but of course, uh, very pointedly, we cut back to De- Denise Richards when uh, Matt Dillon is like, "Oh my God, champagne!" And then we we see the geography of the beach where they were, but they're still out of sight, and we hear Nev Campbell scream, uh-huh. and then Matt Dillon strolls out of his hidey hole uh, along the beach kind of covered in blood. You know, he's got blood on his face and there's the champagne bottle is covered in blood. And then they wrap uh, Susie up in plastic. They wrap Nev Campbell's body in plastic tightly Uh because she is dead. We call that the Laura Palmer. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They throw her in the back of the Range Rover. And Denise Richard, she makes an offhanded remark that her mom would kill her if she knew that she had taken her rover. She is so superficial. Then we cut to Matt Dillon returning from the swamp with a shovel, (laughs) implying that he has buried (laughs) Nev Campbell's body. You know, uh, if you ever go down to Lucid Swamp, you better not go at night, is what I heard. You know, going in the swamps and digging things up. So Charlie Daniels Band song. (laughs) Our next scene, we cut back to this poor man's gator world 
where Nev Campbell's mother slash grandmother slash aunt slash guardian, she's continuing to dangle a cigarette from her lip. And she tells Kevin Bacon that nobody's heard from Nev Campbell for a while. And Kevin Bacon and his sidekick, they leave without any real incident. Kevin Bacon then goes and hooks up with Jimmy, that wink wink teenager from earlier, the one who took boating lessons from Matt Dillon. And he says like, hey, you know, we're looking for Nev Campbell uh, out on the beach. Why don't you go with me? And so these two are strolling along and then Kevin Bacon comes across this blood splattered rotting boat, which that is not that unusual for a boat in the state of Florida. (laughs) I mean, one assumes that there is going to be a legally mandated amount of human blood on every boat licensed in the Sunshine State. It's just standard operating procedure. Where did the teeth fit in? I guess is my question. Well, right. Kevin Bacon, he finds these two teeth under some seaweed, which, you know what? It's a good thing he found them today and that he didn't do this investigation tomorrow because if he'd come the next day, he would have found two shiny quarters left by the tooth fairy. (laughs) Those quarters then stolen by the little mermaid. So out of luck, Kevin Bacon. Police work is 50% skill and it's 50% luck. Kevin Bacon tells Jimmy, he's like, yeah, why don't you go catch a bus and beat it out of here? I also like the fact that when when they find the teeth and Jimmy is like, boy, that, that Matt Dillon sure is a good guy, huh? I, he, he'd never do anything to hurt Susie. I know that much for sure. Jeez. Hey, pal, can you give me <laughs> five cents for some rock candy and a, a candy whistle? Ke- like Kevin Bacon, after he finds the teeth, is like, see, Jimmy, like I was telling you, you never really know someone, do you? Now get the fuck out of here, Jimmy. (laughs) This is the height of the Eileen Warnos killings. And him sending Jimmy up to the highway to hitch a ride, he might as well serve him up on a silver platter, you know? We are are not going to see Jimmy in one piece again. Bye-bye, Jimmy. Thanks for being in the movie for a while. Yeah, he's going to end up in the backseat of a car with Charlize Theron telling him (laughs) how much she doesn't want to kill him if he weren't just a man like all the others, you know? Jeez, lady, I just needed a ride. Kevin Bacon convinces his female partner to go uh, keep an eye on Matt Dillon because D.A. Blob Schneider... Uh, forebode uh, Kevin Bacon from doing so. So uh, the the female partner goes back to the Glades Motel and she's peering into Matt Dillon's room and Matt Dillon gets a call from Denise Richards who during this phone call, she's wearing blue jeans and a light blue bra on her upper torso. You know, the clothes that you wear when you call your murdering middle-aged extortionist boyfriend who was having sex with your mom. And on a separate occasion, you and a white trash high school friend who was murdered the night before. Hmm. Or maybe it's a pink bra. When you- I don't know. Is it before or after Labor Day? I think that <laughs> that that matters. Matt Dillon comes outside and confronts the female cop because she's peeking in on him. She's not very good at doing stakeouts. And then Matt Dillon invites her to come inside the motel room to see if it smells weird, which it does. Once inside, Matt Dillon <laughs> gives the female cop she uh, this file about Nev Campbell and how she was a troubled soul and how she wanted to hurt her mother and uh, another female classmate. Is that right? Yeah. He refers to her as, quote, a sexually confused psycho path which uh you know i'm not saying i haven't been described that way you're the art teacher right I, what do you do at the school again why are you describing your students this way so in this scene matt dylan appears to be coming on to this cop and the camera pulls in close and they're about to kiss but then a car horn honks outside so no smooching for these two and then Matt Dillon throughout this film, as you noted earlier, is really mucho, mucho macho. You know, he's he's really all horned up, ready to go. You know, he's kind of handsomely carrying the leading role performance throughout the film. 
Once he goes outside, uh, to, there's a taxi cab, which was the one that interrupted uh, his smooching with this cop. Most cab drivers I found in movies are jerks. Not like the cab drivers in the real world where they're, you know, class acts, gentlemen and scholarly type. <laughs> uh, very gentlemanly in traffic, especially. Always looking out for the other guy. That's what I think of when I think of a taxi driver. So the female psychic cop calls up Kevin Bacon and says, hey, Denise Richards was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because of this file folder that Matt Dillon handed over. At this point, it turns out that Kevin Bacon is outside Denise Richards' family mansion. So Kevin Bacon goes inside and Denise Richards is still inside wearing her blue jeans and Tiffany blue bra. And Kevin Bacon enters the home and immediately there is a scuffle. We're outside the house looking in. Then we hear gunshots and then Kevin Bacon stumbles out with his arm bleeding where he has been injured in the aforementioned battle. Oh, uh, oh, oh, you shot me. <laughs> oh, I've been shot. My favorite movie shooting ever was in um, the Lawrence Kasdan film Grand Canyon when Steve Martin's character gets shot and he falls to the ground and he pisses himself wearing white pants. I haven't seen that in a long time, mostly because it wasn't very good. No, but Steve Martin has a beard and he gets shot and pisses himself. <sighs> yeah. After uh, he comes dragging ass out of the guest house with a, uh, the bullet wound in the arm, Teresa Russell shows up, runs inside the guest house after, you know, after he's emerged from it, and then she starts screaming. And then we cut to the police department where Kevin Bacon's arm is in a sling, and he's given a statement basically saying, you know, here's what happened. I came in. She had a gun. She shot me. I had no choice but to return fire. Very pointedly says, I went there to protect her. And, you know, it's supposed to tug at your heartstrings a little bit or or at least give you the sense that this character is trying to do the right thing. Of course, we will learn different. We cut immediately to a hearing because justice is swift, not only for criminals, but for the police as well. Yeah, I was assuming that this was an hour and a half later. <laughs> he left the conference room where they were getting his statement directly into the hearing. And they basically fire him, even though they say it was a good shooting is the way they describe it. Meaning he was justified in, in the murder uh, of Denise Richards, but because he had been involved in, t in two shootings, even though they were both justified they're gonna fire him which i don't think is how the police work in fact sometimes you can shoot someone and it is totally not cool to have shot them and you still get to keep your job shoot me once shame on you shoot me twice shame on me shoot me three times Take me to the morgue. <laughs> Call me deadly. <laughs> Come on, baby. Pretty baby. Kiss me deadly. <laughs> so we immediately go. They're like, and they also say while they're doing this hearing, and they're like, hey, by the way, not for nothing. I know this only has to do with the shooting, but just while you're here, we're going to go ahead and say that we have concluded this whole investigation and have now decided that it was Denise Richards who killed Nev Campbell. Done and done. You're dismissed, Kevin Bacon. The movie is over. Chad, what are we looking at next week? Next week, we have the rest of Wild Things. Wow! Because... <laughs> Because the movie is not over. And in fact, what we're about to see is about 10 minutes of a motion picture that can only be rivaled in how contrived it is by the three alternate endings of the movie Clue, where we are given more twists and turns, facts and wacky shenanigans that I've seen this movie now three times, and I'm still not sure what the hell happens at the end of this movie. So let's see if we can break it down. I am an expert, Chad. I have done my research. <sighs> I'm, I'm envisioning you 
in your house with the the giant board with the red string mm-hmm. connecting everything together. There was a montage. There was a lot of red yarn. <sighs> Matt Dillon is just laying on a beach reading a book. Surprisingly perving on a woman as she walks alone by herself. <laughs> Surprising, Chad? From the, the panty pocketer? Matt Dillon staggers back into this beach house. <laughs> and there he is greeted by, surprise, surprise, Kevin Bacon and his great big dick <laughs> my favorite part i know I, I said this in the intro but my favorite part of all the research was that story about uh mcnaughton the director calling him up and be like <laughs> hey man like i know we did a bunch of shots but the one that we really want to use is of your dick and kevin bacon just be like how did how'd i look and he's like you look great man it looks good all right let's roll you know i I love that like that makes me appreciate kevin bacon as a human being <laughs> let's just put it out there for god and everybody let's see what the world thinks of my cock so in this scene matt Dillon and kevin bacon and kevin bacon's giant cock it turns out they were all in on this together and they celebrate the moment by each drinking a tall boy of coors beer the bandit and Aquaman would be so proud. What you got a couple of CLs in there, brother? I'll tell you what, you're right near the water, man. I can be there too sweet. All you got to do is put up the Aquaman signal. You know what that shit is? You crumple up that Coors Light in your hand. I'm going to hear that shit from 4,000 nautical miles away. We come back to Matt Dillon. And he's now on the giant sailboat that he bought with the money that he legally received from his court settlement. And Kevin Bacon is along for the ride out in the ocean. And then Matt Dillon tells Kevin Bacon, he's like, hey, go over there and tighten up the jib jab and the hoist, ahoy hoy. My sailor talk was, one of the sails is loose and flappy, which is also how you could describe uh, an old woman's labia. <laughs> or Kevin Bacon's giant car. Uh, that was loose and flappy. Ain't no question about that. He tells Kevin Bacon. Let me tell you a story, like, Chad, about seeing a horse on a bus one time. <laughs> Not since that have I looked at a dick and been like, shit. He's got a big dick in this movie. Kevin Bacon goes over to to. I think it was a gag. I think Kevin Bacon, like before the scene, was just like giving himself not even a couple of strokes. I think it was a solid dozen of just like, let's get this thing like a, a full semi chub. I think it was just to surprise Matt Dillon. I'm just like, what if I turn around and I'm like half hard? I want to see the look on his face when that happens. And I also like the fact that Kevin Bacon was the one like, he should fucking get in the shower with me in this movie. Let him stand hog to hog with Kevin Bacon. He knew that he was going to win that battle. Well, but it also would have made the scene earlier when Matt Dillon calls him a cocksucker. It would have made that actually matter a little bit and also be kind of ironic because if they're showering it up, I mean, eventually one of those is going to suck a dick. And let's be honest, it's going to be Matt Dillon going on, going down on Kevin Bacon. You've put a lot of thought into this. Not till now, but I've got a whole movie, (laughs) a sequel that this movie has three sequels, no less. And I'm surprised that one of them wasn't just called hog to hog with Kevin Bacon. (laughs) Although the fourth one is wisely called Wild Things 4, Foursome. Mm, Mm -hmm. I wonder what happens in that. Uh, I think it's a bridge. (laughs) It's a cribbage claw. Kevin Bacon goes over to the side of this sailboat to hoist the mizzen mast or whatever. And Matt Dillon pulls a real right turn Clyde and badinkadonk kersplash. Kevin Bacon falls into the water, but he doesn't really fall in. Again, yet another twist. He pulls himself up onto the side of the boat. I guess he grabbed a a hoist joy 
rope and um, he gets it back up on the boat and Matt Dillon's like like hey man sorry it was you know all an accident we're, we're cool right you know please don't use your big dick on me <laughs> and like even threatening him like hey don't make me take this out you know <laughs> oh look man if you can just keep that in your pants that'd be great for everybody I mean I'll tell you what maybe you just want to stand at the back of the boat and let it trail behind just in the water you know maybe draw some fish like big game fish or something it's like the world's biggest worm, you know what I'm saying? Like, just flopping along behind the boat. Careful of the propellers. I don't want you to get tangled up in there. Also, you could hurt the propellers. <laughs> I'd go down there and dive down. I'd untangle your dick from the propeller. Boy, it's really, really wrapped around there. You got a coat hanger or something up there? I'll tell you, maybe you just, you know, think of some baseball or something. Try to shrink this thing up. Hey, I got a book down in the... <laughs> down on the poop deck uh it's nothing but economics maybe you thumb through that read a couple of pages maybe you don't think <laughs> such sexy thoughts i mean it, i know you're looking at your own dick i gotta be honest that turned me on too i'm envisioning essentially an itchy and scratchy uh, cartoon uh starring kevin bacon where itchy just grabs his dick and you know stretches it out for miles and miles and you know wraps it around in in comedic uh uh tragic fashion in in this scene after he unravels kevin bacon's dick from the boat propeller they ended up having to rub it all up with some butter and then put in reverse was the trick kevin bacon goes over to beat up matt Dillon and in this movie but before he can get over to beat him up kevin bacon gets shot in the leg by a harpoon gun by nev campbell who we last saw wrapped in plastic and dead. <laughs> right. It turns out she isn't dead, but she's in cahoots with Matt Dillon. And also, Nev Campbell has blonde hair now and looks like the Long Island medium. I don't know who that is, but I, I feel like I should. She's a psychic uh, charlatan uh-huh. on uh, cable television. Eh. She tells people that she can talk to their dead loved ones by means of lying to them. <laughs> is that how she channels where she's like, trickle down economics works? <laughs> So Kevin Bacon kerplop falls into the ocean. So see you later, Kevin Bacon. I hope you and your giant dick um, enjoy the rest of your life. You know, one thing, one of those pieces of information that I carry in my head because I'm a weirdo is that one of the reasons that bodies are so hard to identify once they're in the water is because like turtles and fish and shit will eat like the the nose and ears and dicks off of people because it's the soft tissue. Just something that I'd like to share with the audience. <laughs> Come and get it. If you happen to fall off a, a bridge or something, say, and die in the water, mm-hmm. when they find you, probably going to be dickless. Good to know. Especially if you're a lady. So our movie then cuts away from the ocean and we go back to the Glades Motel because of course we are. And we get about 30 seconds of exposition where we hear from the old lady mom, the one with the cigarette on her lip. She tells us that Kevin Bacon used to be in love with a prostitute who was having a fight with some guy named Davey. Yeah. And that name sounds familiar. So Kevin Bacon kills Davey, who was having sex with this prostitute, because it turns out Kevin Bacon was in love with the prostitute, right? (sighs) Davey was in love with the prostitute, and... Right. And when Kevin Bacon was with her, Davey got all upset about it. And then Kevin Bacon killed him, but Nev Campbell saw that. So Kevin Bacon busted her for, you know, whatever drugs or whatever it was. 
it don't make no sense to me. I, I was like, I've seen this three times and I'm still terribly confused by, by but it, and it just doesn't matter at the end of the day. No, it absolutely doesn't because all you need to know is what's coming up next, which is, it's not telegraphed, I suppose. It's just one of those things that's like, oh, this is so silly. On the boat, like, you know, Susie uh, is kind of flirting with Matt Dillon and is making him a Nev drink. Camp- Nev, Nev, Nev Campbell. Nev Campbell's flirting with Matt Dillon. Right, and is making a drink for him, and he takes the drink from her, and he starts to look a little suspicious, and even sniffs the drink, like, you know, hey, I got a pretty good sniffer here, I, I can detect most poisons, you know, I mean, the big exception, of course, being the Iocane powder, which is uh, tasteless and odorless, as you know. She's like, what do you think, I'm gonna poison you? That's silly. And so, it, you know, she takes a drink of her drink, and then he takes a drink of his drink, and then... She starts giving him a little bit of shit about like, boy, you you just want to kick back and cruise, huh? That's you all over, Matt Dillon. Just cruising. Letting all the other people do all the hard work and make the big decisions. And he's like, hey, I'm not feeling so good over here all of a sudden. And you're kind of bad-mouthing me a little bit. I mean, it feels like our relationship really took a, a left turn on us all of a sudden. She's like, ha-ha, I've poisoned you, Matt Dillon, after all. <laughs> <laughs> it's real dopey. It's like a Miss Marple murder. Then she releases some line on a sail, and in true Joe versus the volcano style, <laughs> we're just gonna mention that every ep- uh, episode this season. And like the mast swings around or something, the boatswain perhaps uh, swings around and it hits Matt Dillon and just knocks him the fuck off the boat in right. pretty grand fashion, which is wonderful. And then, you know, uh, we we cut away from that to Detective Lopez, Kevin Bacon's partner, talking to the dude Walter, uh, who works for Ruby. He's the one that we've seen kind of in the background throughout this movie that actually does the gator wrestling at Ruby's gator wrestling farm. Yeah, he's got a new truck, which is suspicious. (laughs) In fairness, this is a mayday. If you see somebody who runs a gator farm... Buying uh-huh. a brand new truck, it, he's probably dirty. He's up to no good. At best, Chad, he is selling those gators for something nefarious. Or he just found a bundle of cocaine on the beach. You know, that's the real Florida lottery. I don't know how it would change my life, but if I found a bag of cocaine that was, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars of cocaine, mm-hmm. it would change my life one way or the other. Either I would become rich or I would love cocaine, Chad. You know what you should do? Go buy yourself a wall safe and put all that cocaine in there just mm. in case. Along with all my <laughs> official documents and prized possessions. And the antidote. <laughs> to what? Who knows? I just, I have an antidote. Don't worry about the disease or poison. <laughs> At this gator farm with the suspicious brand new pickup truck, Lopez comes over and she's like, hey, gator, gator wrestler Randy or Walter or whatever your name is. He's like, what's going on? And have you seen uh, Nev Campbell? And he's like, no, we ain't seen her around here. But you know, she had a real high IQ. She was probably a real evil genius <laughs> of this movie. Yeah. And you're like, what? <sighs> All right. And so we get a shot of Matt Dillon slowly dying in the ocean and then Nev Campbell is just sailing away on the giant sailboat and she has pulled it off, whatever it was. And then the movie just gives us a bunch of outtakes. Wait, first it lies to us, Chad, because it gives you a good old fashioned the end. 
as Nev Campbell sails off into the sunset. Right. And then it's like, okay, great. Let's, you know, done and done. Let me grab my empty bag of popcorn and soda and it's time to head for uh, the lobby. Oh, wait, there's another scene. What is this? A fucking Marvel movie? Or the Cannonball Run. <laughs> right. Except it's not outtakes. It's like the plot. where <laughs> Of the entire film. Yeah. It's like a... By the way, if you didn't get it, here's what happened. And not only if you if you didn't get it, it's like, oh, by the way, nothing that you just saw cohesively made sense. Let me stitch all of this together for you. Yeah. So there's a, a scene where she is blackmailing Matt Dillon, where she basically, because of some pictures she has of, of him and Denise Richards, and like with a dog collar at one point, she's like, the, no, the I, I think it's, Denise, I think it was with Denise Richards mom. Oh, okay. Okay. They, that they were having sex. So she's blackmailing him with that. Get more credits. Then cut to another scene at the Glades motel where we see Kevin Bacon all upset about the prostitute girlfriend and someone who I'm guessing is the mysterious Davy. And then Matt Dillon comes into the bar and sits down beside Kevin Bacon to start to concoct this plan. Right. Hey, do you want to casually have a drink and maybe we get to know each other? Maybe oh. maybe we want to kill somebody. I don't know. Oh, my God. There's, a, there's an anaconda on your leg. There's, uh, there's some more credits. And then we do the scene on the beach where, uh, you know, as we mentioned, Nev Campbell's teeth got found. And it turns out that the reason we heard the screaming when Denise Richards uh, was, you know, pretend getting some keys from the Jeep earlier is because Matt Dillon was trying to pull out Nev Campbell's teeth so they could leave it as evidence, but he can't go through with it. And she's like, God damn it, just give me those pliers. Let me do it myself because she's an evil genius and also uh, has a high tolerance for pain, apparently. That was a step in their plan. Like when they wrote this down and had to make it foolproof, it was, and then I take a pair of pliers and, and yank out my own teeth. Yes. This is so stupid. It, look, it ain't got to make sense, Chad. It's just got to be fun. Then there's a, a scene with Kevin Bacon and Denise Richards where it's him shooting her immediately. Where he's just mm -hmm. like, bang, bang, she's dead. Then he gets a gun out of her cabinet in this guest house. And, you know, thank God he knew that there was a gun there. Like, I don't, that that's one of those where I'm like, how did he, eh, whatever. And then he, he puts the gun in her dead hand and fires the trigger at himself in the arm. So she has the uh, GSR on her hand. Uh, gunshot residue, by the way, uh, for those uh, amateur slews like myself. Then it's more credits. More then credits. cut back to the movie. And then it's Nev Campbell on the beach, you know, with the blonde bob and like, you know, later in the film. And Bill Murray shows the fuck up at the end of this movie. And it's just like, hey, I've got all this money. Uh, I've, I've transferred it to you, less the money to your parents and my fees. And uh, good luck, I guess. So was Bill Murray in on this as well? To an extent. I think he was in on it. I, I think he was in on it up to and including him suggesting the lawsuit. Oh, and also in the background, there's somebody walking a goat on a leash. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, what is going on there. Uh, probably allegory, Chad. I'm not very smart. But the, yeah, and then that's it. Like, that's all. The, like, we get five different post credit scenes, but that is the story of Wild Things. Does, does this movie make more sense with the post credit scenes or less sense with the post credit scenes? It it probably it probably makes more overall sense, but it introduces a number of problematic details. 
If one of the scenes had involved a UFO, only could it have been more confusing or a ghost. Do you know what I mean? Or if that goat started talking, you know, like, I don't give a shit, you know, <laughs> you guys can get drunk. Throw me around <laughs> the boat, you know, that sounds pretty good. I don't know that I can recommend this movie. It, this is just, this one is just, it's just a mess. It's really, it's really bad. I, I, I enjoyed watching it for our conversation, but to the public at large, like, I don't, I don't know that this is a, this is something you should see if you've never seen it. That is nonsense, Chad. Um, I think this movie, I, I don't think it's a great movie. Don't misunderstand, but I would say it is an awfully fun movie. Like I was constantly entertained. Like the movie doesn't really drag. And also look, there are a handful of things I look for in a pick six movies movie. One under two hours. And there there have been some woefully overlong examples. Uh, this movie clocks in at a nice like hour 45, hour 50, something like that. Could be a little tightened up. But like I said, the movie moves at a nice little clip. It also contains the line, Chad, you're finished here, Lombardo, take a hike. <laughs> Which is the greatest line in anything, as we pointed out. I think all the actors are seem to be having a good time. You know, it is kind of steamy and 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 sexy, even though it's a little lurid. But that's kind of what I like about it is that it's a little bit sleazy. I, yeah, I just I I think it is a fun kind of guilty pleasure movie. One of those things like for for God's sake, don't watch this on television. Like the only reason to watch this is to get like full barrel get the dirt yeah absolutely if you've never seen denise richards topless or kevin bacon's dick i highly recommend just going to the internet and looking at pictures of that and not watching this movie <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i look i'm not gonna fight you too much on the good v bad <laughs> of this movie i'm gonna say that when it comes to me looking at the season as a whole and where we have come from uh, mm -hmm. I, I think this is still on the higher end of, of the stuff we've talked about. I, I, I won't argue that with you. One thing I think when we look at the movies that we've watched so far, we have seen, um, in this movie, bare breast, mm -hmm. we have seen penises, mm -hmm. not only in this movie, but we saw them in magic Mike. We've seen the bare asses of men and women. We arguably kind of saw a woman's vagina in 50 shades of gray but i gotta tell you for this season and for the the listeners of this show we really need to see a woman's vagina in a sexy season and in the next movie that's what we're gonna get the most infamous shot of a woman's vagina in american motion picture history the home movie of my birth but would you care to introduce the next movie episode Five? Yeah, five. yeah, it is episode five. Uh, yeah, and it's it's basic instinct. We're doing the kind of the granddaddy of the the shockingly sexy movies that spawn the success of Basic Instinct is the reason that you had movies like Color of Night and Jade and all that shit, like the sexy thriller. And honestly, something like Wild Things I don't think would exist without a Basic Instinct, even though it's been a while. But I would probably argue in this early stage that Wild Things is probably a more entertaining movie. And yet Basic Instinct is is the thing that laid the groundwork for movies to be sexually explicit and daring and have a really stupid plot to hang all that on. Yeah, I agree with that. It's I, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't seen it in years. I've got a feeling it's going to be much worse than I remember it being. So <laughs> come, 
Come back next week. We will have an all new episode. As always, like, rate, review, drop us a line, tell a friend. If you have a recommendation for a season, please feel free to, to reach out to us through whatever means you want to track us down. We hope you know how the internet works. Bo, any final in, any final thoughts on Wild Things? Yes, I feel like there should have been more Rob Schneider uh, in mm-hmm. the film overall. And yep. uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I feel like because I had to buy this, I didn't have to, but because we watched the movie a couple of times, by the time I rented it a couple of times, I would have bought a digital copy, so I just outright bought it, which means mm-hmm. I am now on a list. Somebody watching you through your window right now. Right, like at a certain point, you buying an HD version of Wild Things from Amazon has to be one of one of those indicators that like you're reaching out for help. Yeah, I, I think that there's a very good chance that you're not going to be allowed to fly commercially. <laughs> we will see. But honestly, <laughs> if they told me, like, sir, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to have to ask you to leave the plane, there's about four things that would flash through my mind as potential reasons. <laughs> and number three on that list is wild things. Uh-huh. One and two we can't talk about. And number four is, well, still in the court. So <laughs> I don't want you to get any more trouble. Right. There's right a now, gag so. order related to that one. <laughs> I got Roger stoned. <laughs> all right we'll come back and see us next week uh we'll have a new episode we'll do it yet again and have another uh sexy conversation about another sexy movie Mm. oh i love it when you make that noise